but it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat in the house. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. <laughs> You're in uncontrolled airspace. EAA Radio welcomes back the long-running general aviation podcast, Uncontrolled Airspace, to share the microphone for 90 minutes of virtual hangar flying. Now here are the voices in your head, the UCAP gang, editor Jeff Burnside, journalist Dave Higdon, and new media producer Jack Hodgson. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled Airspace, the general aviation podcast uh, on EAA Radio, I should say. Uh, I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm here with a couple of my good friends. We are at one of our favorite places in the world. We are out here on the edge of the flight line at uh, EAA, EAA AirVenture Oshkosh 2019. We're up on the announcer stand, as we uh, have been for many years now, on Sunday morning, and uh, it's uh, a beautiful day. That's uh, um, very, very warm. It's actually getting a little, a little humid, but it's nice. It's a beautiful day, and there's uh, airplanes taxiing around, and uh, we're here to uh, to enjoy the final day of this year's fly-in. Uh, with me are my two good friends here. Uh, first of all, uh, we have uh, Dave Higdon is here. Hi, David. How are you doing? Uh, you know, uh, uh, considering the, the work of the week, I'm doing better than I expected. <laughs> holding up, holding, holding up. Holding up, holding up. Um, and uh, in, in this evening's performance, the role of Jeb Burnside will be played by our good friend Jim Goldman. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm having such a great time. It's always uh, such a delight to be out here at Ashcash for AirVenture and to be with my f- great friends who I see if only a few times a year. And I'm, and I'm honored to sit in for Jeb. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll see if I can make his name into something. See if you can fill those very big shoes. There you uh, go. He might be listening. I'm not sure. I, I, that would be interesting. Or I should say, uh, the uh, we or watching. All right, this is new. All right, uh, we are apparently on the EAA live stream this time. So uh, uh, the video live the stream. The video live stream. All right. Boy, in, I'm glad in, I dressed up. For in this. addition to the audio audio web stream, uh, I believe that we're on the video web stream, um, which will be a very very graphic uh, illustration to the fact that uh, as as TV performers we have very very good voices for radio i don't know something like that. whatever that joke is oh the line is you've got a face for radio yeah so, <laughs> there we go there you go there you go so you hey go. look at this uh, uh c47 or dc3 dc3 taking off to the uh northbound c47 c47 and there he uh, goes with the hard right turn. We're talking about a lot of that kind of stuff this morning as we uh, watch the different departures and uh, both uh, everyday GA planes and some of the special show planes as well. Uh, it's been quite a week. It's been a week. It's been quite a week for me. I'll just get this out up at the front. Um, it, this is the, about. It's been about five years since I've done the full ten-day Oshkosh experience, and I've apparently lost my uh, in my ten-day endurance because this has worn me out, David. I. You've done it every. You do it every year, forever, and uh, you're yeah, just it, ch- chugging it, along. It, it, just, it was a habit established uh, right. more than twenty years ago, and for me, getting up here early and getting settled in, and then starting to drift around and see old friends, it just kind of helps me con- condition my brain and my body for what's com- what's what's coming next, which you know is the the grand show. Yep, and w- one of the things you have to get used to if you come here for the full week 
is sleep deprivation. Because if you like a good, sound, long night's sleep, this is not the place to be. <laughs> I don't know. I sleep moderately okay. The biggest problem with sleeping here is that, is that, well, and I slept part of the week in a tent on a cot, which is, but it's a very good cot, and it's a decent tent. Um, but it, it's... It, it is definitely a lifestyle experience if you're going to be in the campgrounds. Yep. You know, uh, as as longtime listeners know, there was an era when Jeb and Dave and I got to stay in the uh, in the Super Eight Motel across the way, um, and uh, and that was very very nice. We were very lucky to be able to do that, and uh, and it it aided your endurance greatly. Um, but now we're over in Camp Sho- uh, Camp Scholar, specifically in Camp Bacon, or as I like to say, in the pork section. <laughs> I never heard that. That's a guy like that, uh, and. Uh, and although there are a great many uh, uh, consolations or whatever you want to say, there's a lot of good stuff. There's a, yeah. It's terrific to be a part of Camp Bacon. Um, it is camping. And uh, so it's, it's... And it doesn't matter what you camp. We camp with your airplane. You bring a little pop-up into Camp Schaller. Uh, you wind up parked down on the South 40, just north of the Fond du Lac city limits. Uh, waking up on the field, tucking in at night on the field. Just, for me, makes it seem like a more complete experience. Plus, there's the added bonus of not having to fight traffic coming in and out every that day. That really right. is key. If you spend your week coming in and out from a hotel, you're, you're just missing a huge part of it, and you're spending too much time in the yeah, car. Yeah, we had a, one of our Camp Bacon regulars um, this year, uh, for family reasons, decided not to stay in the campground and instead stayed over in the uh, UW dorms, um, which are filled with uh, AirVenture people during this week. Um, and I did it ba- way back when, long before my hotel d- d- years. Um, I stayed a few years in the dorms and the dorms are okay it's uh, i mean it has it has its pros and cons but one of the cons is what you suggest is that you're far away yeah. um and uh, in my case you'd ride the shuttle bus every morning and uh, I say, here i'm gonna here comes a uh, ford tri-motor yeah and i wanted to uh, we'll it, just mention that for a sec the uh, tri-motor flies here all week and you can get a ride i've done this twice yeah and, and it's one of my favorite favorite airplanes this airplane it, it yeah it, it's low and slow and incredibly elegant it, it, it takes off and flies and lands at more or less 60, 65 miles an hour, uh, just like a Piper Cub. But with those great big wings, yeah. you just have this feeling of not of hardly moving. It just well, it, it, it helped establish the airline industry back in the golden era of uh, aviation. And they would fly the airplane in the daytime, then land someplace and put people on trains overnight. Yeah. And then... It, Get on it again the next day, and off they'd go. Yeah, and and they that was in the days of comfortable seating and service to the passengers. Oh, Did it was, you? It was the luxury travel of its day. That's right, Jim. In your two rides, and I, I got to ride the four, the trimotor uh, one time, um, and I did not get the benefit that I'm about to ask about. Um, did either of your two rides get you into the front right seat? No, I. I'm not sure how that works. I I was offered, I I volunteered to marshal people for it at another air show in Pennsylvania, and in return they offered me that, but um, there were long long lines of people waiting, and it was a long, hot day, and I declined, so I came that close. Is that how it works? If you're willing to wait in the longer, slower line, you might. You you can pay extra for it, Uh or you can volunteer and work the day, and then. Yeah. That must be fun to because just sitting back in the in the cabin was fun enough. But uh, yeah, so that uh, was a, a good thing. All of my trips on the uh, trimotor were assignments for uh, the job I had in those days, which was all behind a camera, and uh, it was always fun. Uh, the most memorable was when they had a celebrity pilot 
well, well-known pilot flying a, a whole plane load of young eagles. And got on, shot it, got off so that they could put another, fill another seat. And when the kids came off that airplane, you know, they had that shovel grin. Shovel grin being one where you could stick a shovel in your mouth and not touch your teeth. <laughs> okay. Never heard that one before. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a, I mean, you know, any airplane ride is is cool. Um, and then when you double it up or triple it up with a, a cool aircraft like the Trimotor or, or others, it's especially nice. Um, we were commenting earlier that it's we're going to coming up on our break pretty soon here. But uh, before we go on the break, we were observing. Now, see, J- uh, Jim, now this guy landed he, from the he north. He just landed southbound, so and that, the Trimotor took off southbound. No, the Trimotor taxied southbound. He's about to... Or did he? No, oh, he? Oh, did he go out and use an intersection? I okay. Th- I think he's I gone. I don't see him I down there. I think he took there. off. But yet everybody's down there waiting to take off North Bend. We're so trying using to the runway in both directions. We're trying morning. to under, Well, you know, <laughs> so that's the net. Instead of simply using the taxiway and having multiple dots, they're now going to land on one runway northbound and southbound at the same time. So uh, uh, that's, you know, fall. I guess I'm not sure. Probably we tell not. our audience that it's very calm. Probably today. not. It's very, it's relatively quiet. We were commenting on that, and uh, no, I meant the uh, wind was calm. That's wind why is, they're able to do this. The wind is calm, as we alluded. It seems to be favoring a southbound takeoff, but um, but that's not what they're doing. They they seem to be favoring a northbound takeoff. So, anyways, um, I noticed. So this is going to be another one of those episodes where we spend the entire episode waiting for one notable airplane to take off, and then we never actually see it during the episode. Which, which one are we waiting for? And it's for? going to be the C-5 this okay. time. Because they seem to be preparing it over here on the... Uh, on the uh, Boeing <laughs> Plaza. On Bo- uh, is that what it's called? Yeah, Boeing Plaza. Boeing Plaza. All right, well, preparing a C-5 for takeoff isn't something you do in a few yeah, minutes. Yeah, so chances are we'll see it taxi out, but I doubt we'll get a chance to see it um, take off during this hour. But uh, anyways... Um, what else is going on here? It just really is quiet. It's surprising. I noticed that I'm in the campground over the last few days. Normally, Saturday is a real getaway day, and, and things start to empty out. And it, and it didn't seem like Camp Scholler emptied out the way I had seen it in the past. Um, I haven't been up to the North 40 in the last couple days. We, we saw Jeb off on uh, whatever day that was, Friday. Friday. Um, and uh, things were starting to thin out, but not dramatically. I'm trying to glance up and down the flight line here. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of grass, empty grass now. Um, but there's still a lot of airplanes here. I mean, if you're in the area um, and, and thinking whether to sneak in on the final day of uh, AirVenture Oshkosh 19, uh, you should, because there's still plenty going on. There's going to be an air show later on today. There's still plenty of airplanes to look at um, and uh, some beautiful grounds to enjoy. The exhibit halls are open. There's still a lot of airplanes down in the uh, down on the farm in the ultralight area. Yep. Uh, the vendors there. Uh, Homebuilds is probably still still, still a lot to see. It, 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 it seems we never run out of stuff to see here until the, they cut it off in the afternoon on That's Sunday. Right. Big aircraft coming uh, high pass from the south here. Is that the 29 or one of the 17s? Are you guys seeing it? I'm, I'm seeing it, but I'm waiting. I don't think it's a 29 because I think I saw I saw docking on the ramp a few minutes ago. It's got to be one of the 17s. Uh, yeah, it's 17. I'm not sure if that's going to be picked up any of the cameras, but uh, yeah, it's a. So there's all kinds of airplane stuff going on here, and uh, oh, this is probably why the runway is very quiet because he's doing a slow flyby. Oh, okay. Well, that could be. That could be. Anyways, we're going to go and watch this airplane fly by. In the meantime, we're going to let uh, EA Radio talk to you for a few minutes. You're listening to a, a very special episode of Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. Countless first flights and airborne memories. We're celebrating 50 years of AirVenture Oshkosh. Support for EAA Radio comes from... 
want to make sure that seaplanes aren't a vector for transporting those. Reporting for EAA Radio, I'm Blake Tyson. Dave Higdon has realized his friends aren't being honest with him. Him talking about himself was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Back now with more Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. Welcome back. That's our friend Mike Morgan doing. Mike Morgan is like Mr. EA. I know I shouldn't say there's a lot of people make EA radio happen, but uh, we're hearing his voice a lot on a lot of the promos this week. And uh, he wasn't able to be here this week, this this year, this week. Um, but he did a whole lot of work for EA Radio in advance, and uh, on behalf of uh, well, on behalf of everybody, but certainly on behalf of UCAP. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. Um, but one of these days we're going to. What do they call those things? Bumpers. Yeah, bumpers or liners or yeah, right. I'm not a radio guy, so I don't know. But yeah, I wonder if they're five mile an hour collision proof. Yeah. Um, let's see what's going on here. So uh, uh, it's concluding now, sort of during the end of the break, the uh, Aeroshell team in their T6s returned from what I'm guessing was a photo mission of some sort this morning. And uh, they do just a beautiful approach and landing because they're, they're landing to the south on the runway right in front of us. They're coming in from the east, uh, and they don't make – and they fly this, this kind of ex- long, long, long um, um, base leg and then turn final at the very last moment. I mean, they're hardly, they're practically in, in, ground, in, uh, in uh, ground effect when they make the turn to turn to the south and touch down on the runway. Um, and it was kind of pretty. And I'm, I'm guessing we got video of it. We'll see. We've got a couple of video cameras running here. Um, uh, a, a listener, uh, uh, Hydru, um, sent us a, a screenshot from the, uh, see, so we're on, uh, we're on, on video. Oh, there see? we are. Oh, wow, we're so famous. that's what I look like. Yeah. See, there's feedback. There it is right there. Um, so, it doesn't look, uh, like it, it doesn't look anything like me in the yeah, wanted posters. Yeah, so we don't look too bad. That's okay. Here comes the P-51. P-51 from the, I believe there was part of that photo shoot. That's, that's uh, the red tail P-51, right. Razorback, how is C that, model. How, C model. Yeah, that's the Tuskegee Airmen Got air, airplane, Got the it. red tail. Yep. Um, we were talking earlier about uh, the uh, the usage of the runway here, and, and, and Jim during the break mentioned that it is kind of an interesting thing. Uh, it, what, Jim, in what way do you consider it to be interesting? Well, and for a southbound departure, it's very conventional. Runway 18, southbound, straight out. But for a northbound departure from 3-6, which they are using for GA departures this morning, right. we see people lined up down there. And strictly speaking, not a northbound, but a north flying, taking off on the north runway. Taking off on the northbound, north-facing runway, yep. runway 3-6. Yeah. What happens? Pilots have to make a turn, a hard right turn. It's actually a 150-degree turn back to the southeast before they get to pass the FAA control tower. And the reason for that is pretty simple. There's another runway at the north end of this airport, 9 and 27, and they are in operation this morning also. So you have to make a... It's, it's unusual for a GA pilot, a, who are not show performers, yeah. to make a hard right turn at only two or 300 feet AGL of 150 degrees. It's not our normal takeoff procedure. Yeah. It's... Go ahead. No, it really is a remarkable process that they've evolved here. Because what you effectively have is four different airports within a less than two-mile circle. All right? You've got the north-south runway, which is basically one airport. You've got the east-west runway, which is very distinct and different, as you say, because they're operating both at the same time often. Um, Then you've got the ultralight runway down there to the south, which is often operating at the same time. And then you've got um, Pioneer uh, Airport, uh, the grass strip over 
over there by the museum, which has limited um, activity during this week, but does have flights, especially helicopter flights coming out of there. Right. And, and they have very tight, defined patterns and, and procedures so that all four runways can be operating at the same time without having to coordinate through a t- control tower so one t- you know you don't have to wait for one guy on one runway before the other guy does the thing so the ultralight people have a tight pattern that they follow that keeps them well away from uh, runway 1836 mm-hmm. that right turn that you were talking about on climb out um, I, I often wonder if there are any safety issues with that um, in, because it's an, it's an unfamiliar maneuver for a lot of pilots it is um, to be making a relatively tight turn in a climb low to the ground you know so you might not have cu- quite gotten your airspeed yet and uh, um, and you know you watch the pilots do it and some of them are clearly very good at it they, yep. they, they do a really you know beautiful you know for, almost 45 degree bank turn off to the right. Two, two things work in, three things in favor of this, or two or three things. One, th- one thing in favor of this working out is that here at the south end of the airport, the airplane is more likely to use this runway with a tight turn. Our vintage, which typically are flown by more experienced pilots, and show performers. The general aviation camping is all on the North 40, and those people use 927, which are straight in, straight out. So that's one thing to their favor. And we should also mention departure briefings. Here at AirVenture, there's a whole team of volunteers that goes around and makes sure that pilots have read the notum. Yes, absolutely. And and I'm going to now illustrate that I have not read the notum, um, at least not recently. If you're using, if you're departing on the east-west, the 927 runway, yeah. and if you're departing on 9... Um, do you do a straight out, or do, or do you make a left turn, fly a downwind, and then get into that normal? And that's a funky departure, too, because you're supposed to stay at, like, what, 600 AGL or something? Yeah, like that? so you have to stay low because the incoming is above you. Right. You really don't want to turn left into a, into a downwind there uh, on 9. I, the, the, the advice yeah. is to sort of go further o- over the lake, Lake Winnebago, and... Get away from here before you start doing yeah. that stuff. Yeah. So it's too bad we don't have a device where we could actually look at the notum. And uh, maybe I will while we're talking here. Um, some interesting airplanes were here this week, uh, you know, large and small. Uh, uh, David, any any of the uh, the showcase airplanes that stand out for you? Uh, the, one of them that was a lot of fun to watch was the uh, Bombardier, or a Canadair CL-215 water bomber. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It's since been replaced by a turboprop version called the CL-415, but it's a big honking amphib uh, made to skim a lake, a body of water, take on a load of water, drop it on the fire, come back and do it again. Uh, Always fun to see it because those kind of aircraft have to be among the more maneuverable of the big airplanes Mm -hmm. that fly out here so it can squeeze into the smaller lakes or rivers and then maneuver for the target, drop its load. Uh, And having been flown once through the clouds of smoke coming off a wheat field where the farmer was burning off the uh, stubble, uh, flying through that as bumpy as can be. Mm -hmm. Uh, You hit that smoke, you hit that heat rising up. Uh, It was a photo mission for me, and I had... the camera bag tied down on the back seat next to where I was working. Uh, so the camera bag floated up against the seat belt, and uh, a, whole, a whole case of filters went right to the ceiling. 
I've never and, been in that and, kind of flight situation. And, and, and about be. that time, my head went right to the ceiling. <laughs> yeah. And uh, having headset on cushioned me a little bit, but uh, we checked later on, and there were no, no dents in the overhead, so all was well and good, and the photos came out well. Yeah. Uh, that, that's one of my favorites to see here. And a couple of uh, Grummans, big Grummans that uh, have flown around. Uh, it was... Uh, always fun to do this it's always fun now now we've got this big variety of aircraft and they're going every which way yeah yeah but yeah. well, i think jim that they're starting to take our advice here i get the feeling they're turning the airport around here i see them lined up because the, yeah. the ga aircraft which appear to be departing aircraft are oh here comes it this is going to be noisy right here here it is that's them. Um, one of them so-called jets yeah look at oh, that it's a mig it's, it's a, a MIG. mig 17 with a big fiery plume out of the tail But the, uh, oh, and then one landing, right? Oh, no, is he taking off, too? He's taking off, too. That's not, that's a different plane. That's a different model. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. David, name that airplane. The second one. I don't know that. Whoa. Whoa. Here it is, folks. We you were here. Stumped we Dave stumped Hingen. Dave. This was it right here. 13 years it took. Um, yeah, the, uh, the what appear to be the G- departing GA airplanes are now uh, lining up uh, at the north end of this runway. Um, we're in the early days we actually used to do this show from, um, uh, in, in, uh, right out in front of that uh, intersection. Anyways, it's, uh, yeah, they're starting to turn the runway around. Um, before the break, Jim, yeah. um, what airplanes have you seen here this week that you thought were the notable? One notable airplane that I, as our long-term listeners know, I'm in the light sport world, and one notable airplane I saw was a, an auto gyro with a Rotex 915IS. Why is that significant? It's the first production aircraft that I've seen with the new uh, Rotax motor that is both fuel-injected and turbocharged. Prior to this year, they had a either you could get carburetor with turbocharging or fuel injection, but not both. And they now have a uh, an engine that combines both. And it you know a couple of years in development, but I saw my first aircraft uh, certificated in flying. And it was here, and I just had a good look at how they had set up the turbocharger and the venting on it. Very interesting, because you're talking about in light sport, limited weight, limited space. Yeah. Yeah. Doc, the B-29's been here most of the week. Yep. Uh, We had a uh, Federal, no, I'm sorry. UPS. UPS 747F. Here with the nose all up. That was impressive. We've had a C-5 here, which we hope to see coming out shortly. Uh. Been a big show for big airplanes. Yeah, yeah. there was a, uh, a, a NOAA uh, a P3. I hope I'm got that designation right. I don't know whether NOAA has a different designation for there, but it's a Hurricane Hunter airplane. It was here on display. We were actually chatting with one of the pilot, one of the crew members um, last night over at Camp Bacon, and yeah. uh, that's an interesting um, aircraft. And uh, just you know, a big year. A lot of lot of, especially the Central Taxi, the the, uh, the uh, Boeing Plaza had a lot of different kinds of airplanes on it. I mean, you mentioned the uh, C5 is there now. The 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 747. There was a 787 earlier in the week. Um, uh, Dock is there. Uh, uh, all that, um, not all that jazz. Uh, that's all, folks. Is was there? That's all, brother. So a lot, all, yeah. So all that. That's all, brother. Thank you, thank you. Yeah. So uh, it's time for another break here, uh, but uh, we're going to be back for a little bit while longer. We're going to talk a little bit more about our experience uh, this week, this year at AirVenture Oshkosh. Um, but uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to a special episode of Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. 
You're tuned to EAA Radio, 96.5 FM, 1210 AM, and online at eaaradio.net. Aeromark, the aviation flea market. EAA AirVenture Oshkosh, the deal of the century. Jeb Burnside has solved the problem of leaded fuels in aviation. I consider Uncle Jeb's Backyard Avgas to be a, a rational company. Back now with more uncontrolled airspace on EAA Radio. Jeb's not, ever, not even here and he's being abused. Oh my goodness. <laughs> as, as surrogate Jeb, I take offense. <laughs> uh, it, it, no doubt this will come up at the next it board It will meeting. come up at the next meeting. Um, he hasn't texted me, I don't think, here. But uh, anyways, good morning. Welcome back. Uh, the uh, Things are really starting to liven up here in terms of uh, mostly departures, although yeah. I think I saw one arrival, actually. Yeah, one arrival. They uh, just turned it around. Yeah, yeah they well, just so, changed the active runway from 3-6 to 1-8. And uh, they got a big queue of uh, airplanes waiting at that intersection. So, uh, yeah, we're going to have a lot of airplanes taken out, a lot of GA airplanes in front of us here. Um, well, the, what a contrast we've got here. Yeah. The, the closing day versus the pre-days when we were here and enjoying some wonderful ducky weather. Yeah, it was it was a little damp early in the week. It, uh, we had two days. Well, we had we had the one day that was historically hot everywhere all over America, practically, or certainly yeah. this part of America. Um, and it was certainly hot here as well. Um, and then that spawned, I assume, or led to some pretty good thunderstorms here. Um, so on Friday night, we had a pretty massive thunderstorm. Oh, it was bodacious. We got inches of rain between Friday night Saturday and into Sunday morning. Yeah. And the chaos that ensued <laughs> because yep. the, Camp. the campgrounds couldn't take a lot of people. The standing water in at the North 40 wasn't fully open. So all, South 40 wasn't fully all open. All the public roads around the area were clogged with RVs and campers. And people camped out on the public roads because they couldn't get the campground. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and uh, having a four-wheel drive or all-wheel drive vehicle was one of the keys for us being able to get in and out of uh, camp to uh, secure additional provisions and uh, and get stuff that we needed for some repair. Yeah. Uh, but by Tuesday, well, first off, it reminded us of 2010, which we came to call Splashkosh. Yep. And we were looking at this as Splashkosh to the dampening. Yes. And uh, EAA which was parceling out campers to... The parking lot of an outlet mall and fairgrounds and other places around the area. And then when it finally got dry enough to start letting people in, they did a great job of recovering from that. I mean, they had vacuum trucks out sucking up big puddles off the paved areas. Farmers nearby were bringing their big tractors with six-foot, seven-foot tall tires, four of them on the back, pulling out the big motorhomes. It was Quite a well-coordinated uh, uh, oh, recovery. Yeah. As usual, the uh, yeah the uh, the air venture uh, facilities and events people did a great job of reacting to that that, that situation. Um, yeah, the uh, Splashkosh to the dampening um, was it was as to be expected with an even number even numbered sequel was somewhat lame. Um, we, we're fully expecting that the better Splashkoshes will be the odd Not numbers ones. Down. Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, so. Uh, one of the reasons we come here, of course, is to buy stuff. We uh, spend money. We spend money here. Uh, and uh, I don't know if I bought anything notable. I don't know what I did. But, I, Jim, you bought something interesting. What would you get? 
I bought a shirt. No, yes, teasing you. <laughs> I actually did there buy really, a shirt. There really is a cool shirt floating around. Um, it's a Top Gun shirt. The movie Top Gun it says Top Gun on the front, and on the back it says, "If I had been flying, Goose would have survived." All right, which I think is a great. Okay, interesting. Yeah, what'd you buy, Jim? I bought a heads-up display for my airplane, and. Uh, it's interesting because heads-up display, very cutting-edge technology. It was developed for fighter planes. So, and what we should say what a heads-up display is, for okay. those who may not know, it's a way of projecting. Think about your car. You have your dashboard in front of you with your speed and other information about the car. But you have to look down at the dashboard to see it, and you're not looking out the window at that moment. When we fly airplanes, we want to look out the window and see this information as well. So the heads-up display allows, it's like projecting your car's dashboard on the windshield so that you can look out the window and yet still see information about the airplane. Air speed, altitude, attitude. Yep. And uh, But, of these, course, these things are crazy expensive. Usually. Yeah, they were developed for the military, and they're tens of thousands of dollars. But this week here at AirVenture, one of the vendors is selling a portable unit. It's not installed in the airplane. Portable unit sets on top of the dashboard for $1,000. Well, a little bit more, but let's round okay. it off to $1,000. So not cheap, cheap, but cheap for this kind of thing. Amazingly cheap compared to the past couple of years. He in yeah, he's in it. Okay. No. Uh, we're just checking our video. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it, 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 a company called, I'm going to mention it uh, in case anybody wants to look it up. It's a company's called Dual, as in two of them, D-U-A-L, Dual. And if you just do a Google search on Dual HUD for heads-up display, you'll see how it works. It's a it, There's a little box, which is your GPS receiver that gets your position and, and uh, airspeed. But it has also in it a uh, what's called an ADHARS, Attitude Direction Heading Reference System. There's going to be a quiz on that later. Okay. Ad- ADHARS or AHARS? Uh, this one happens to be an AHARS. Okay. And it's synthetically, so it combines the attitude from the attitude sensor with GPS speed and altitude to paint a somewhat fake cockpit panel on a piece of glass that sits on your dashboard. And you can see through it and watch what's going on outside and still have uh, situational awareness of what the airplane is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know what this will do for me in my GA VFR flying, but I, I am used to the HUD from my car. So I was enamored with it, and I wanted to test it out. And, and gives, I can use this to give some feedback either here on the podcast or through some other outlets. Yeah. and see how this works. Now, this particular device is not suitable for IFR. The, the, oh, absolutely the, not. The, the metrics are somewhat crude, rough. Right. For example, it doesn't. It shows GPS speed and elevation or Correct. altitude, and uh, and it's not airspeed. It's so ground speed, obviously. Yeah. So, but it's an interesting advancement. Um, and the fact that they've got a display that can be sold for a reasonable price. Now we just put better electronics behind it, and we can get a better better I data. S- there was also one on display here. For, that would hook into your um, aircraft's avionics and take real aircraft data and paint a real panel for you. That was about four grand. And again, that's an amazing figure, considering where, where what they've come from. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, as we suggested, it's a steady stream of uh, GA aircraft uh, taken off to the south here on the runway, and uh, it's just kind of fun. We'll watch them. This is one of the great things about being on this announcer stand on Sunday morning is that uh, you get to see quite a smorgasbord of uh, airplanes. I think that's the title right there. Smorgasbord of airplanes? Smorgasbord of airplanes. One, one of the things about a system like that, in terms of legality, there's what's legal according to the FARs, and what's legal when you're in a crisis and declare an emergency? Yeah. And oh, a system well. like that is going to help you out. Absolutely. In, yep. in, in a bind. And the FAA, if you declare an emergency, the FAA is not going to care whether it was legal or not. If it gets you on the ground right. with, with a flyable airplane again or no trip to medical facilities, uh, then it's worth the price that you paid for it and having it there. Yeah, exactly. David, I didn't see you coming back to the camp with any particular bags of goodies. Did you buy anything here this week? I uh, bought a couple of T-shirts, yeah. uh, and I got a, I got a freebie that I'd been needing for a while, and that was a replacement for my pilot certificate. Oh, okay. Uh, I did the changeover back years ago when we had to go from the paper to the plastic. Yeah. And had it fined for years in my logbook, and... Somehow, when I took the logbook out uh, so somebody could document my background, it disappeared. And I keep forgetting to contact the FAA to get a replacement. So I was walking by the FAA building, uh, as I usually do. I went through to see what was there yep. and went by the right stand and went, dude, take care of this now. Yep. You know, you'll forget by the time you get home. Mm-hmm. And five minutes with this uh, really nice lady, uh, I believe her name was Sharon, and gave her some data, filled out a form. She printed me out a temporary. And the nice thing was stuff like that here was no charge. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Instead of the exorbitant price of two right. bucks. And what, so, they'll, they'll mail you a hard guy? Yeah. A, a sort of plastic one? It'll come. A t, t, somebody told me as a T-38, is that right? No, is that a? I don't know. I thought it was a, a the, one the, of the trainers. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Have we stumped Dave again? Oh my T-thir- god. T thirty three. T thirty three trainer okay. being towed out from the from the Boeing Plaza area. That's a that that's an airplane that looks like it's going fast while it's being towed. Yeah, and it's a supersonic. Yeah. Uh, oh, trainer. I'm not surprised. Uh, my purchases this week were limited to the Fly Mart, which is not unusual for me. I love the Fly Market. I just love all that kind of goodies, all the different pieces, parts, and the tools and and whatnot. And uh, we, I bought some. Uh, I mean, it's kind of apropos of nothing, but I bought some interesting little doodads and some tools that I need and, or don't need. And uh, well, I did spend. As I've been doing since I started the YX project, which is, you know, the answer to that question will come. Uh, it's been very slow progress because I've had a really successful uh, work here and kind of cut into my free time because after I take care of the business and the bookkeeping and the accounting and billing and the writing and the housekeeping and the dog, and I kind of get to the end of the day and like, I am in perfect shape to make scrap. So, but I did close the loop on some uh, my avionics cho- choices. I'd been toying with the idea since Garmin has come out with some nice standalone GPS navigators, GPS com, IFR capable or IFR uh, approved. Uh, and I'd been toying with the idea of just doing a, uh, a, a, a an IFR GPS and leaving it at that. And all my friends and advisors said, you know, you don't want to do that. You want to do GPS fails. You're going to need old-fashioned VHF nav to get on the ground. 
and one of the vendors here that I'm considering ordering the rest of the panel from showed up with a brand new, very compact NAVCOM and an even more compact COM. So we, uh, we, we put that on our list as a solution that I need. Tiny enough that it'll fit in the space that's remaining, uh, and we'll make the whole panel a little less expensive. So, yeah. uh, they've cleared out the queue here up at the intersection, uh, but there is a steady stream of airplanes uh, taxiing uh, up here and uh, getting ready to uh, depart. Uh, large. Oh wait a minute! Here comes the there C5. Comes the super we're, we're just seeing the tail of the C5 here. So it, uh, it's we're, being backed out because there was no room to turn it around. That's right. And we're going to take a break here, but uh, so we'll report on what it really looks like when we uh, when we come back from the break. Um, we'll be back with one more segment. We'll uh, kind of wrap this thing up and wrap up the week and, and tell you what to expect later. In the meantime, you're listening to a special episode of Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. I'm Jeff Skiles, co-pilot of the Miracle on the Hudson, and when I'm not flying young eagles, I'm listening to EAA Radio. For some reason, Dave Higdon thinks that Jack Hodgson is a technology junkie. I mean, this is the guy that goes to sleep with his iPad mini on the pillow next to it. Back now with more Uncontrolled Airspace on EAA Radio. You know, this keeps coming up, and I don't understand what people think the problem is. Why, oh, yes, they do. Okay. That's a big airplane. <laughs> that is a C-5 Super Galaxy from yeah. Travis Air Force Base, part of the Air Mobility Command. Yeah, that uh, airplane almost fell. Because we've seen a lot of airplanes coming and going all day long, all right? And then suddenly this one comes out, and holy moly, that's a big airplane. Uh, that's a an M model. When I first heard about the C-5, way, way back, the, um, it was called the C-5A. And I wasn't really, this is a long time ago, I wasn't really tuned into uh, airplane designations. Um, and I thought the A was kind of a formal, official, permanent part of the designation. And for years, I referred to this general model as a C-5A. And it was only in later years I realized that you know, the A models, I, prob- I wonder if there's even any A models still flying. But this is an M model, as they, Mike. They are taxing the, pa- the airplane backwards out of the Boeing Plaza toward the uh, runway. And I want to paint this picture for people who can't see it. There's a soldier, uh, pilot, whatever he is. Airman, I would Airman, imagine. there's a good word. Sitting, oh, sticking his head up through a hatch on the top of the fuselage, like a submarine. He's stuck. He's yeah. He sticks up out of it. He's turned around backwards. He's got a headset on. And I think he's directing someone by headset from yeah. up there. Or, or spotting in some way, shape, or form. And there are also wing walkers down on the ground. And, uh, um, yeah, it's a big airplane. You've got to make sure it clears everything. But they are pushing it back. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing what's going to happen here is they'll push it all the way out onto the runway and then tow it forwards up to the... This is what they've done in the past. They'll tow it to the north end where it will start getting prepped and then take off. You know, long after we're done with this podcast, it's always uh, always fascinated me this aircraft because you, you we're so used to seeing dihedral in wings, and this one is very pronounced an anhedral. Very. Uh, which, but I would imagine when, once you load it, that's good. Brief, Those wings will come right up. Brief definition. They, no, of, they they don't get level. They don't. No. Okay. David, David, brief definition of dihedral versus oh, anhedral. Dihedral is when the wing is tilted just a little bit above the fuselage, uh, you know, like you see on a, a, a Piper Cherokee and it's a lot of other airplanes. Anhedral is when the wings tilt down. Mm-hmm. And Jim is right to a certain extent. The wings will come up and there will be a little less anhedral to it, but it, they, they don't get level. And I understand that the uh, anhedral really improves its maneuverability. 
which yeah. is a big deal with for an airplane that big. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a uh, right out in front of the announcer stand here uh, on the uh, grass um, is a big video screen that they use for um, showing you know better shots of the air show and things like that. And it's just kind of running this big slideshow right now. One of the airplanes that they keep showing on this is the uh, Breezy. Um, which is a legendary airplane here at at uh, at the Oshkosh Fly-in, going back long before it was Air Venture. I, and I did. Are they do they still give breezy rides? I didn't. Don't know if I saw it here this year. I, I didn't see it, but my, that doesn't mean it wasn't here. I didn't see a lot of stuff. My, that I my understanding do. was that the breezy was at one of the other airports, uh-huh. uh, Fond du Lac, one of them. And doing rides there because they couldn't set it up here for whatever. That's what I heard. I don't know if that's true. And and the breezy, for those who have never seen it, is a no-cockpit latticework fuselage with two seats and a pusher engine. Uh, It's like a great big ultralight. It's not ultralight. It's not light enough to be an ultralight. It's faster than an ultralight. Right. But it's that same experience with the pilot sitting out front and a passenger behind it and... Now, that's a P-2. P-2 or 3? P-2. P-2. Okay, so I was that, really well, off That's base. what the crewman told me last night. All right. Because um, it, it, to me, it's reminiscent of the P-3 Orions that I used to see the Navy flying around Silicon Valley way back when, um, which in that, their mission was sub-hunting, was, was searching for bad guy submarines. Um, and this one is, uh, is uh, investigating bad guy hurricanes. Right. Um, and uh, that must be a ride. Yeah, um, it's operated by NOAA. And look at the sensors in the front and the back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah lots of sensor pods all over the place. And, and the refueling probe. Yeah. This, this can refuel air to air. Yeah. Uh, turboprop engines. Uh, and I believe the gentleman told me last night that it was based on a uh, Lockheed. Oh, what a time for a brain fart. Uh, yeah. Episode. Lockheed. Uh, Episode title. It'll come back to us. Um, the uh, the I, we saw the uh, during one of the breaks we saw the trimotor land um, to right. the south, um, and he land. So I was talking earlier about the fact that there's these four distinctive airports. I'm making little finger quotes. Airports, um, and, and not only are there four different airports, but one of them, the North South Airport here, has parallel runways for this week, because the far taxiway gets uh, relabeled and repurposed as a runway, and this. I, I've noticed this for many years. The, the the person or persons who fly the the trimotor here are pretty good pilots. They know what they're doing. Man, they fly that little that that little airplane, that big airplane, that airplane. Um, and as remember, we see it coming in. Now. Oh, that's right. The uh, C five has now cleared the main runway. Uh, is being pushed to the far taxiway, and uh, and we're going to uh, uh, see the uh, trimotor land here. We're about ready to wrap up things, not only in this episode, but here in the week at uh, AirVenture uh, Osh 19. Uh, any any kind of, you know, thoughts? Is there anything you, you haven't seen that you're going to try and sneak in before we go home here? I know Dave and I are hitting the road pretty fast after we're done. Uh, yeah, I'm stick me with the fork. I'm done. Uh, I'm 90% packed. Uh, my goal is to be on the road before uh, noon 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, somewhere down the road, I'll make the decision on whether to push straight through to Wichita or RON along the way like I did coming up. Right. Uh, to, all depends on how the energy level feels when I make that second gas stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And I'll be, I'll be on my way to Pennsylvania 
Three feet AGL all the way. <laughs> wow, it's an Eagle 150. Little bi-wing airplane down there. Where is there. that? Where are you seeing that? See, see the VTL Bonanza? Yeah. Look immediately oh, to the left. It. I do see it. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's cool. We might be able to see that on our video. It's going to be really small, though. We'll see what we can do about zooming in on it a little bit. It, it was developed as a, as a trainer and personal airplane. Uh, the uh, a lot of the development work went on in uh, in, in the Wichita area. Uh, never reached its potential. I think it was out of Australia. Uh, one of the problems with it not reaching its potential was they couldn't get IFR certification for it because it it's a composite airframe and they needed to embed conductivity material in there to dissipate lightning, and they never got to that point. Yeah. So. We're starting to reach the end of our allotted time here, and there's a handful of thank yous. I want to start with one that doesn't strictly relate to this particular episode, but relates to the week as a whole, and that is to our, our, our great friend, uh, Charlie Becker, um, who uh, hosted us over in the home-built area for a couple of different episodes during the week. And uh, I just want to thank him and also our new friends in the home-built world, um, particularly Mike and Dennis and Rana, who uh, were very, very helpful to us as we were doing our thing over there. Um, we're hoping that this is the uh, beginning of a... a what they say at the end of Casablanca is the beginning of a, a beautiful friendship. A beautiful friendship. All right. Well, it's already a, it's already a friendship. But uh, we had a good time with that, and we and we thank them for that. Uh, who else should we thank? Our friends at Camp Bacon. It's always fun, and we appreciate them welcoming us. Um, we make it seem like we're like longtime denizens of Camp Bacon, but we're really newcomers. Um, the, it's been going around for a long, long time, and they welcomed us uh, when we became uh, refugees, quite frankly. And uh, so that was very kind of them, and we thank them, particularly the, the Lord Mayor, uh, uh, Larry, and the uh, uh, Lady Mayor, uh, Mary Beth, who yep. are, are just terrific friends of ours and, and, uh, and very, very hospitable. And everybody there at Camp Bacon. It's a blast. Uh, who else? David, who, who do you want to thank? Who do you, you know, it's, oh, my. Where to begin? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to thank all the folks with the avionics company that gave me time this week to help fill out my quota of stories for when I get back. Uh, some of the many, many friends that we saw at uh, the Thursday night tie-down party. Uh, ah, the thank tie you. That's terrible. Thank man. you so much for coming out. Thanks to Jim G for helping uh, take care of the logistics on that. My pleasure uh, as always. And uh, something that hadn't happened in the past couple of years, all three of us were on location for the At the for, same for the time. We were year. all here for almost all of the week. Jeb yeah. did have to sneak off a couple of days early for work. But, uh, yeah, it was great to have all of us together. And uh, let's remember uh, Jeff Ward. Give him a shout-out. Jeff out. Ward, who's helpful to us all throughout the year and unfortunately wasn't able to come to Oshkosh this year. Um, but uh, I'm guessing he'll be back, and he certainly will be helpful to us throughout the year. Uh, judging by the number of tweets we've seen from him, he has not been far from the show. Yeah, he's been paying attention, he's, and yep. uh, um, I feel a little Hi, bad Jeff. for him. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, what else? Uh, uh, thank you to Jim for for uh, playing the role of Jeb Burnside. You sure. did an let awesome me, job. You weren't th- nearly grumpy enough. I'm but, sorry about but, that. But that's an acting choice. And let me, I, let me throw one it. more thought in there while our, in our limited minute or two we got left. Last night I went to the night air show. I sat, uh, on the, yeah. sat on the flight line, which I rarely do. And you want to get a feeling for what air venture is like or what aviation is about. You see thousands of people out there with their lawn chairs, all fascinated by this. And just the parade of, just the parade of people, it may seem silly, but the never-ending parade of people heading back through the campground late at night, I think that says a lot about what it's like here yep. at Air yep. Venture. Thank you for letting me get that in there. Big thanks to our friends at EA Radio, uh, to Tommy and Jim, and uh, I always forget your name. Say your name. 
Brent. Brent. Brent's been our engineer here uh, and uh, waving and, fingers and at us. And Willie, whatnot. who's manned the video camera for That's us. That's right. And and, and uh, this is new uh, video. But uh, So thank you to everybody at EA Radio uh, and EA in general for being such great friends of the podcast and helping us out. Um, I think that's about it. We're kind of reaching the end of the time here. We're going to go mount up and, and head on home, and uh, we'll, we'll gather again in whatever it is, nine months or so, with the, that other fly-in down the road, yeah. uh, and then back here again in a year. So, uh, anyways, uh, thank you, Jim. Thank You're you, welcome. David. Uh, I'm Jack. David, was there something you wanted to say to us? This place proves positive. If you look at this crowd, time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. That's right. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. Let's go flying. Celebrating 50 years of air venture in Oshkosh, EAA Radio.